Welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, the nature-based show hosted by me, Jack Perks. Each week I'm joined by a guest from the world of wildlife television, art and science. We take a light-hearted look into what makes these people tick and connect with the natural world so strongly, with new episodes out every Tuesday. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Ellie and Ben from the Wildlife Garden podcast and also Ellie's Wellies, which are a Nottingham-based garden maintenance company and consultancy that specialises in wildlife gardens using organic methods. You can follow us on Twitter, at TitBearded, and the Facebook page, The Bearded Tits Podcast. You can also find the videos of these chats on YouTube at Wildlife Exposed TV. They are also unedited, so you can see all the cock-ups that I make. Now, what Ellie and Ben don't know about plants ain't worth knowing, and I've set them the challenge to pick five plants you should have in your wildlife garden, and I've also picked five as well. Not that I particularly know what I'm talking about, but pretty flowers. Here's our chat. So welcome to the podcast, Ben and Ellie, or Ellie and Ben, if you've got Hello. a preference. We usually call Belly, so yeah. Belly, Belly combine them, like super superpower. <laughs> uh, how are you both doing? You all right? Yeah, we're really good. Been doing lots of gardening, as well, you'd expect, yeah, being gardeners. You'd hope so, <laughs> wouldn't you? And we are currently sat in my living, uh, living room, my kitchen, and I've just kind of given you the, the short tour of my, my garden. It's beautiful. I think you undersell yourself on your oh. own podcast. Yeah, you get the thumbs up from us too. I'm blushing. I'm blushing. I'm going to get a little plaque in the corner saying I've got... Uh, Belly says, yeah. it's good. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the key. Before, so doing something slightly different, because normally I just kind of waffle about uh, questions stuff to people. We're going to go through plants, but I thought we'll find out a little bit more about you two, about the about Belly. So what's um, <laughs> so what's the business? Because it's, it's not a hobby, it's your job, isn't it? So what is your... What is your business? That's right. Well, it's your name. You better say. So we are garden maintainers around Nottingham. So we work for basically anyone that wants a gardener, like private gardens. And yeah, we we went organic a few years ago. And then in more recent years, we've specialised in wildlife gardening. And that is what our passion is. And that's what we do. So yeah, we're really lucky to get to do our... It is kind of like doing your hobby, but being paid for it. So we do feel really lucky. Yeah, well, I can sympathise with... Yeah. With that definitely because it's quite in vogue, isn't it? Like wildlife gardening. So yeah. you kind of notice there's been a. And how long? How long have you been doing it? Do you say about seven years professionally, just oh. as maintenance gardeners? But okay. like Ellie said, we're about five years in being completely organic, and yeah, about two or three years since we started doing more of the wildlife type and that's, stuff. That's picked up. More people are doing it. Or? A lot, yeah. Yes. And you start to see it on the gardening shows yeah. more and more of Gardeners World or Gardeners Question Time on the BBC. They have. You know, loads and loads of features all about wildlife gardening. It's certainly something you see in all the magazines as well, more yeah. commonly now. Yeah. It's definitely become more mainstream. I think before it was on the edge. And there's actually a chap called Chris Baines, who's kind of like the godfather of wildlife gardening. And when he was doing it in the 80s, I think most people considered him to be a bit weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can but he's listen. he's so good. He's brilliant. Like, yeah, he did a really good interview. You can see it on YouTube about his first ever garden at Chelsea. He won a gold for a garden at Chelsea for a wildlife garden. It was the first one there. And he just said the other designers just had could not comprehend what he was trying to do at all. And it looks a lot like your garden, actually. Oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll enter, I should enter mine, really, shouldn't I? Got, <laughs> yeah. I've currently got my, my boxes hanging up, so I could add that, couldn't I, and a few of a little bit. Did you get any facepalm moments with it then? Because if someone said, come and sort my garden out, and they're just like, you know, 
nuke it to within an inch of its life or, or are people normally pretty good we are in the really lucky position now because we've got so many people that want wildlife gardens yeah. that we just generally don't work for those people <laughs> we don't talk to those we don't <laughs> talk to them no <laughs> we do still get it's amazing because people you know they're getting our email address off our website because it's coming through the website and it's absolutely everywhere saying we are wildlife completely organic you know we do this start to finish and then we get the email inquiry saying, can you just come and cut all our shrubs and <laughs> everything down? Yeah. Um, so we've actually ended up putting loads of notices all over the yeah. website saying yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, exactly uh, what we do. But also, as we've learned more as well, and obviously a big part of it is just stopping still and looking at what's going on and what animals are coming. Because, you know, there's just so many insects out there to yeah. identify. We are, we are still beginners, even though we now know quite a lot. And well, you were cooing at my caterpillars uh, oh, earlier. Your vapor moth caterpillar—they're my favorite. The punk <laughs> yeah. caterpillar. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they are. Absolutely love them. They're top-notch caterpillar action. <laughs> Top-tier top caterpillar. That's what then, you need. But no, we've got quite a lot of existing customers who have actually stayed with us throughout the whole of us going organic, and they didn't run away frightened. Okay. And also, they—they've really taken on board. Like when we've noticed something and pointed them out to them. Whether it's something really simple like a ladybird larvae or something a bit scarier like an aphid infestation, I say in inverted commas. <laughs> and we point out like how that fits into the bigger picture in terms yeah. of... Sparrows it, love them, don't they? Exactly. Yeah, what yeah, blue tits yeah. rely on them when yeah. they're nesting. Yeah, so, yeah. But yeah, we've, we've really noticed that our existing customers as well have really taken on board those things, which has been really lovely. That's like, brilliant. Lots of job satisfaction for us yeah. in that so <laughs> if respect. You can, if you can change minds and stuff, it's good. Mm. Um, what's the most popular thing you get asked to do then with... With all these different guys, is there like a, a theme or is it a bit of everything? Or It's a bit of everything really yeah. because we've got gardens from tiny patches out the back of a terrace like our garden through to great big gardens, you know, a couple of acres in size. And so every garden's different. So yeah, it's just it's a really wide variety. And because we're gardening all year round as well, we do different things at different times of the year. So yeah. because we're, we're, we tend not to do one-off jobs. Okay. We're there the whole year round, which is really nice for us because you can see how it changes yeah. over the seasons. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we have a go at the shrub pruning in the spring and, you know, doing all the fruit trees and everything in the winter and then just get to enjoy the wildflowers in the summer. It definitely teaches you patience gardening, doesn't it? Because you yeah. put those seeds in or you put that plant in and then, you know, two or three days, years down the line when it looks glorious, you're like, oh, that's nice. Yes. It, it's almost... it's the. Act of a promise, isn't it? Gardening mm. getting deep now, but because <laughs> you're planting something, hoping it'll look nice yeah. somewhere down the line. Well, we often you'll probably appreciate this, obviously being a pond man, but we we do. That's spend... Neil. That Neil's oh, pond man. Oh, okay, but you also obviously I like love pond. water. I am a man fish. who likes ponds. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You <laughs> are not... Sorry, Neil yeah. from UK Wildlife <laughs> Podcast. But we obviously we do put in a lot of ponds, and we tend to yeah. do that over winter when it's not completely frozen, obviously. And yeah, you do still get this tendency for people to go, where are my frogs after five minutes? You're like, yeah. no, it's fine. But we recently put one in actually, well, sorry, we put one in three years ago, but recently we found our first dragonfly larvae oh, in that pond. Brilliant. So it's three years old. Yeah. But we do think it's been there for a while because it was quite chunky. It's a big one. Yeah. Well, so I, I put my pond in uh, last year in June. And, I, and when when you read the book, so Jules Howard, are you guys yeah. know? So he, he was on my podcast um the other week actually was he and yeah oh, he's a lovely exciting. he's a lovely bloke yeah and um, we were talking about ponds and you read all the books and it says if you build your pond they will come mm. sometimes <laughs> within within a few days and I was like a bit sceptical alright 
But literally within two days, I had a, a some kind of emperor laying eggs in my pond. Wow! And wow. pond skaters and back swimmers within a week. And I was like, "This is meant." That's so amazing. they obviously they're on they're looking for new yeah, ponds constantly. Yeah, yeah, so no. That was pretty part of their strategy, isn't it? Yeah, to well, spread themselves about. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We'll get down to some plants. I'm going to let you guys start. Basically, the premise of today's podcast is we've both picked five plants that we think uh, would be good for for wildlife gardens. Obviously, every garden's different and soil types and whatever but this is just a general guide to some plants that we think would possibly be good so what have you cooked up with first one plant that we picked was the honeysuckle okay oh great pericliminum sorry yes it's a climber i think most people know what a honeysuckle looks like really beautiful flowers should be flowering now it's actually a native and it's just so good for so many different species and and things um, it climbs up. It's not a self-climber. You have to put up wires and things for it to actually cling okay. on to. But it's fantastic for covering a fence. But yeah, it's really good for all sorts of different things. Um, it's got quite long flowers, so it needs long to- long-tongued insects to actually okay. reach in and, and get moths. the nectar. Moths are known for it, isn't it? Indeed, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. It's night-scented, so it really attracts in the moth. So um, yeah, I think it's the elephant hawk moth, which will come to it, won't it? Oh, loads of them. Yeah. yeah. And it's the sole food plant for the white admiral butterfly as well which you are not necessarily going to get in the garden it likes sort of dappled woodland but you know some gardens have that sort of um, habitat in them yeah and uh, yeah so if you're in the south and central England you're likely to well you're not likely but you're more likely to to get a sighting for one in your garden I I forget this the whatever the food plant is a purple emperor is because and and in fact after this podcast we're going to go out and hopefully see a purple emperor but there is a woodland uh, not too far from where I live that has purple emperors I thought it's some, I think it's some kind of willow. I can't remember the exact kind yeah, of plant. But if I just fill my garden with this willow, yeah. you, never, you never know. You never know. But I guess, you know, if you put the food plant in, then exactly, you've got yeah. half um, half chance. Well, s- sticking with butterflies, m- mine's Budlia. Yeah. Which I know some people might go, oh, it's not native. <laughs> but um, I just think that you'll probably have a better concept of this than me. But I think people do get hung up on the whole native thing. But I think if it's... If it's in your garden and it's not invasive and it's not spreading and it's benefiting wildlife, then surely that's a, a good thing. I don't know what your thoughts are. That's right. On our podcast, we've done a whole episode on the native versus non-native plant debate. Oh, well, there you go. Give that and, a listen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you've got to make a big distinction between a garden and a nature reserve yeah. or the wider environment, really. Yeah. And yeah, in a garden setting, it's absolutely beautiful. There's yeah. nothing wrong with it at all. And it's... I actually went on a walk with one of the Botanical Society's county recorders and they were saying even 20 or 30 years ago they were actually putting into wildlife schemes to plant Budlia. Really? Um, which has become a bit of a pain for them actually in the long run yeah. in the wider environment. But they were putting it in their schemes because there's hardly anything that gives you as much flower for that amount of space yeah. as a Budlia. Yeah, no, yeah. definitely. Well, what's the nickname? But- uh, butterfly bush. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. right. Because yeah. it's normally covered in butterflies and if you think about a lot of the there's there's no UK equivalent really I mean again you might challenge that but I don't think there's anything that's quite the same as a, a mm. budlier for butterflies in terms of the size it gets yeah. and the nectar it yeah. produces so they're pretty good in that ground and I always think whenever you go to a city centre or a brownfield site which I don't know would, would not normally be full of wildflowers really would it so budlier kind of gets established there and it's a little kind of a 
it's like a pub, like a yeah, little yeah. for yeah. butterflies. So yours, yeah. I can see yours out the window, and it's actually covered in bees right yeah. now, and it was covered in butterflies earlier. So yeah, we that was well, that, that. I was saying that was the only bush I've left in my garden because I thought oh, I'll leave that, and I've actually planted more buddleia along it. So I'm hoping to have just a wall of buddleia eventually because yeah, the the bees, the butterflies you go. Also, up. get the mullein moth. The caterpillars will eat the leaves of it, and we, we ah, came across okay. that. In fact, it was how we became enlightened, because it was one of those things... We always tell people not to panic, and we found loads of these very beautiful, brightly coloured uh, caterpillars all over someone's buddleia. Ah. And we looked it up and found out that it was a type of moth, and they were eating the leaves. Right, they, yeah. yeah. So we left them to it. Yeah. In fact, on, on that note, it was... You might have heard of it. There's an entomologist called Dr Jennifer Owens... Okay. who wrote a, a seminal book, it's called The Wildlife of a Garden, and she did one edition which was a 15-year study and another which is a 30-year study. And she spent then 30 years looking at all the species in her own garden and actually noted everything down. And she produced a top 15 plants which are good for moths, okay. for, the, um, for the caterpillars. And Buddy was number one mm. oh, really? in her top 15 plants. So, yeah. so plenty of... Caterpillars eat it then. Yeah, I, I yeah. Assume loads and loads ah. of different species. Okay. Have you got a ma- moth trap? I have got a moth <gasps> trap, yeah. Sometimes I whop it out. Sometimes I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Every now and again, I'll, I'll, I got it out the other day actually. Um, so yeah, I should I should give it a go and put, just put it under the bud layer or something yeah, and yeah, see. Because yeah. I, I know if, if you are worried about it being a bit of a bully, I think the, is it when it stops flowering, if you prune it back, yeah. that'll stop spreading into your yes. cracks in your concrete and stuff. Exactly. Or help anyway. Yeah, just, just recognising what the, the seeding looks like yeah. is obviously a really good strategy as well and just pull it out whenever you see one seeded yeah. around. But yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can, if you can be bothered, you can go around and deadhead it at the end uh, of the summer. Yeah. yeah okay. And that will stop the seeds falling around. But if it's become too big in your garden, then yeah, sort of March time, just cut it right back as low as you like and it will spring yeah. back, no problem. Yeah, they're pretty resilient, aren't yeah, they? So. Yeah. I think the next one will be Pyracantha. Okay. which is also known as the firethorn. Um, it's a really common garden plant. Again, it's a non-native one. And it actually does a similar thing to bully. It's absolutely smothered in flowers in uh, sort of spring and early summer. And it's because it's got these flower heads, it's got loads of tightly packed flowers. It, the flowers almost look like the wild carrot that we were looking at in your garden in the front. Yeah, like an umble. Yeah, and they have got flat flowers with a small tube so they're really fantastic for small tongued insects particularly flies and hoverflies that actually like to sort of dab at the flowers instead but the great thing about pyracantha is it's it's giving you everything that you need in one plant so it's got loads and loads of flower in the spring but in the late summer and autumn it's got a beautiful red berry that's absolutely loved by loads of different birds um, especially the the thrushes and a lot of the winter visiting thrushes as well um, but then it's evergreen too, and it's really thorny, so it's yeah. perfect habitat for nesting in. Of course, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I can attest to the thorns. I always end up being the one out of both of us that ends up pruning pyracantha. And I come out <laughs> Ben's looking... very kind of strategic. <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. Yeah. And I come out looking like I've been trapped in a cat in a sack of cats, <laughs> just like scratches everywhere. But no, it is. I mean, it's a good security shrub as well in that respect. You can grow I... it. As a hedge, um, which yeah. is really useful. You do have one. Yeah, I, so when you said it, I kind of nodded politely. I thought, what the fucking hell's pyrocanthus? <laughs> and then, so that's why I just Googled it. Uh, but I realised I've actually got one as well. There is one next to the, but coincidentally, next to the buddleia. So yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good plant. It gets yeah. the jack seal of approval. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it is really good. People plant it as, well, as Ellie said, as security hedging because it's yeah. so prickly. Yeah. Um, you know, you can plant it underneath windows and you can actually grow it just as a hedge. Okay. Um, it works absolutely fine and you can keep it clipped as well. So, right. it, yeah. yeah, it's brilliant for that. In terms of if you want something that looks a bit fancier, you can also wall train it. And we've seen some really interesting shapes where people kind of do sort of lots of very narrow horizontal lines. This is from a purely ornamental perspective, okay, but obviously okay. it still has the, the wildlife benefit. Yeah, of course, so, yeah. Because we always think wildlife gardens don't actually need to look like wildlife gardens, if no, that makes sense. You no. can have lots of different styles of garden that is good for wildlife, so... It's it can still look pretty and, yeah, and ornamental yeah. and whatnot. I am hoping it gets a little bit towards the fence so that when the cats come by impales yeah. uh, occasionally impales cats uh, as, as it goes by but we'll, we'll see if that, uh, if that works I will just give you one top tip though if you're going to go and buy one yeah. because for the birds they particularly like red berries and pyracantha there's loads of different cultivars that you can go out and buy in the shops from red through to vibrant oranges and then pale yellows and the birds tend not to go for the pale yellow ones. And it's thought maybe uh, they just think they're not ripe. Okay. So if you are looking for one for wildlife in particular, then try and go for one of the brighter red or orange varieties. Ah, that's a great tip. Yeah, I, I think that is red. I'm not 100%. but that's Red's most common. Is it? Okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot, of, um, a lot of sense. And we will get to some native flowers eventually, but I've got um, <laughs> the one... Well, I wasn't sure if this was native because I asked you as you come in, but it's geranium... I think I googled it. Geranium roseanne, roseanne. Uh, I think that's, that's not the one you've got. Is it not? No. Okay. Well, you, that's why you're the expert. <laughs> well, we do know the geranium roseanne. It's it's basically peddled. You know, quite rightly, is a really good garden doer. Okay. It flowers and flowers and flowers and flowers. Okay. And yeah, it does look really beautiful. We put we certainly put it in gardens. So. so do you know what that one is? I know it's a geranium. Yeah. But it's I don't know what macrorhizum. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Yep. I've got to remember that now. Um, well, that one, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, is I really like it because it, it's quite shrubby. Um, but obviously, for, in terms of invertebrates and stuff, it's a great place to hide. So I find it really good for the frogs because mm. you get this nice little kind of little blanket. Yeah. yeah. And it has these uh, tuber. I don't know if, if they would be classed as tubers, but kind of thick roots. But they're on the, on the top of the soil. Yeah. They're not submerged. So there's like a little damp area. So you get slugs and snails. So obviously anything that eats them is great for them. Uh, in May, it's full of purple. They don't, it doesn't flower very long. So if you're looking to get flowers out of it, this variety doesn't flower long. We'll anyway. give you a tip for that once you've finished. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so in May, uh, it, it's just a wash of purple and then gone. But the bees, when it is in flower, go nuts for it. The bees mm. absolutely... Um, love it and I use it as a border for my wildflower meadow just to kind of contain yeah. um, everything in so it's quite good for, for that and it's easy if you do get fed up of it it is easy to remove as well because I know sometimes um, what have I had in the fall something like mint if you put oh, mint yeah. in the ground yeah. oh my god <laughs> you, ain't, you are yeah. not getting rid of it so I'm always cautious that whatever I plant if I do want to switch things up or whatever I try and plant things that I'm not going to like break my back yeah, yeah. And, and that one's pretty good and it spreads well you can just kind of break it apart and yeah. move it around oh, exactly. so all around it's a it's a great little yeah, little plant fantastic though. one but you're going to give a tip weren't you Ben yeah so lots of the geraniums yeah um, partic- well the hardy geraniums that you're getting outside in gardens if you cut them back after they first flowered completely okay just they will the yeah shear them <laughs> they will grow back up and flower again oh. so then you get a second just as good a flush as the first one but later in the year, so it's double the value, yeah. really. And if you're trying to keep some cover 
you know, you might want to do it over a couple of weeks, do a third of it one week, a third the next week, and then, you know, uh, you've always got a bit of shelter. Would that stagger the flowering as well? or not? Yeah, it would yeah. actually, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, but then, yeah, you get a second flush in the summer. Yeah, that's a really good tip. I'll do that. Uh, probably a bit, a bit late now. No, no, do it. All right. Try it, because if we have a really long summer, you, you yeah. have time All right. All right. When When we get back from the butterflies, I'll get the uh, shares out and go to town on it. And yeah. See what, <laughs> see pretty, what, uh, pretty forgiving plant as well. Yeah, they're pretty, it's, pretty, yeah it's pretty good for, for that. Cool. Well, our next one is a native. Okay. Certainly, and we've gone for purple loosestrife to sort of oh, cover the, the wetland because they tend to like growing in boggy areas. Although we have got one in a garden growing essentially in a crack in a pavement. So they're, again, pretty varied in, in well, the conditions they like. When you go to... Well, so we, we went to Naturescape a few weeks ago and they've got them just in, in a field, haven't they? Yeah. So they can survive in... Yeah, I always yeah. think of them as a wetland plant as well, but they'll, they'll live in dry soil yeah. as well. Yeah, it's literally the foundations, a cracked foundations of a shed. <laughs> yeah. A tiny little gap. Yeah. And it's looking amazing. It yeah. well. But yeah, it's a, it's a herbaceous perennial as well. So it will grow up each, each year. And you can see one in your garden right yeah. now, Jack. I've, got, really I've got a lot of these, which is, is a good sign, I guess, isn't it? If we're picking plants that are good for gardens and yeah. I've got them in. And I'm impressed. Yours is about two metres tall, one of them as well. I mean, it does get, it can get quite big, actually. Yeah. I think there are some dwarf uh, varieties out there that you can go for. But they're just another really, really good plant for all sorts of pollinators. It's another one that uh, likes, well, it's got quite long tubular flowers, so you tend to get bees with long tongues that actually come and visit it, and butterflies, but also the moths as well. Um, and I think it's the caterpillar food plant as well. Is it for the small elephant hawk moth? I believe it is. Ben's not I don't know. <laughs> we know there are loads, it was it about 30 different species, it's a food plant. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, 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 but I forget yeah. the list now, which yes. ones are on it. Yeah. Hugely varied. Yeah. Um, just a really lovely garden plant. Yeah. It, it will grow in lots of different places. And if you grow it from seed, it's first year flowering as well. So it's really good. If you want to have a, tr- if you've never grown anything from seed before, sometimes some of the package you buy in the garden centres, it might not flower for the first two or three years and you can get a bit disappointed. But if you go out and collect some seed of purple loosestrife, you can collect it from the wild, you know, just go out and get some for free this autumn. Um, if you sow it in the spring the following year, it will flower that year for you. So it's a really nice one to have a go at. Yeah. So you don't need to, it doesn't need a frost. I always think of it for yellow rattle, but it doesn't need a frost or anything. You could just keep it indoors and then sow it in the spring. Yeah, really. you can do. It yeah. needs uh, spring temperatures to actually germinate. Uh, okay. It's something like 14 to 20 degrees or something. Right, okay. But you can also sow it the previous autumn and okay. then just leave it as and long as it's it a bit it. moist and then let it do its thing yeah. in the spring. But no, it's a really good one as well because it's, it's quite late flowering. And yeah. that's really important to have this spread of uh, nectar production in your garden. So it's, it's flowering now, obviously, and it will go on till about like September, October in a good year. So it's a really fantastic food source for all the pollinators. I think that's key with um, if you're going to do a wildflower meadow, that you don't want everything to just kind of come up in May and then gone. Because mm-hmm. otherwise you've got this fantastic bit of nectar for, for three weeks yeah. and then nothing. Yeah. So it's good, to, I guess, to plan out, all right, well maybe put some cowslips in or early pollinating and maybe loose strife for later so then you have got nectar there all year really mm-hmm. i think it's a, a better better idea yeah. uh, well i guess that is a wetland plant so one very watery plant is a uh, yellow lily or brandy bottle mm-hmm. you're familiar with that one so i, I love the i sound, sound like an alcoholic but i love the smell of it because <laughs> it is really strong and if you go along a riverbank that's full of brandy bottle lily you can really, it really stinks of alcohol. You smell, smell no, that. I don't think I've never smelled that. I don't think you've got close no. enough. 
There is one flight. Right, so after this, you can sniff my sniff my lily. Um, and, uh, I thought you'd never ask. No, I know. And uh, yeah, it really, really, especially when they rot, it ferments like out, and it's yeah. to attract flies apparently. But oh. it's quite. That's where they get the name brandy bottle from. Uh, but it's a native lily as well, because a lot of the lilies you buy from garden centres are ornamental uh, varieties. Uh, like deeper water, um, they tend to. If you're going to put it in your pond as well, I'd recommend wrapping its root around a rock or something because because okay. lilies just float otherwise, so that's no good. So you need yeah. to kind of get it down there and put some clay or some soil nearby for it to to root in. Um, I would, rec- I mean, I, I suppose you have to be careful with it. I would recommend just collecting one because lilies are expensive, mm. They're like 15, 20 quid sometimes. So um, obviously, making sure you don't bring anything in non-native. But just give it a rinse and have a look. But you you can pick them up from the side of a river safely. Try and I don't want listeners <laughs> to um, be responsible for people drowning. But if you can get hold of one, um, they're pretty hardy. I just kind of cut a little tuber off and, yeah. and seed it in the pond, and they do um, they do pretty well. Heart heart shaped uh, pad, which is pretty. Mm. Apparently, it's edible. But I, I I think like most there's a lot of plants that they say are edible, but whether they actually <laughs> taste any, yes. you know, like dandelions are edible. I don't know if they taste any good. Oh, we were just talking about that the other day. There's a plant called um, the great burnet. Um, it's a sanguisorba. You see, it's a meadow plant as well. You okay. see it around a lot. And supposedly it tastes like cucumber, but <laughs> it doesn't taste, yeah. it tastes of green leaf. If you like bitter flavours, then <laughs> yeah. wild plants are yeah. quite, you like them. <laughs> Was it, um, it always says spinach. If you get a wildflower book, it's like a little bit like spinach. And then you try, oh, this is not spinach. <laughs> like, like, you know, if you were starving in the woods, I could maybe, yeah. I'd maybe munch that. But um, yeah. I'm glad you chose that plant though, because we kind of guess that you'd go for at least one pond plant. I've got a couple, yeah. Even though you're not pond man. No, yeah, don't want Neil Neil Phillips will be (laughs) writing in. Um, And the other interesting thing is there's evidence that brandy bottle is one of the most beneficial plants for preventing the build-up of methane gas in stagnant ponds. So it's a great plant uh, to clean up... uh, Stop your pond stinking. Yeah, basically. So, you know, if you don't want a stinky pond... Put some put some brandy bottle in. So and is that one you could grow in a small pond? Um, it might overtake. I mean, I guess yeah. my pond's not. Again, I don't really think my pond's massive, but I mean that's not. If I left that brandy bottle to its own devices, I guess it would cover the whole thing eventually. Yeah. But you could put it in a small pond. You just have to keep an eye on it. I yeah, mean, yeah. I suppose I always think of lilies for bigger ponds, but um, I don't know if there's a dwarf variety. There might there might very well be, but yeah, I'm sure a small pond would be be okay. Cool, yeah. nice. Your turn, Ben. I'm going to do a tree. Oh, okay. So yeah. we're going to go with the native crabapple, so a native plant again for yeah. us this time. Um, yeah, it's, uh, quite often when we are planting for people in the garden, we well, with a tree you get a massive bang for your buck because generally you get a flower at some point, either in the spring or the summer, and then you get the fruit. So either that's a, a nut or you know a berry that is good for wildlife to eat. But people sometimes panic about planting trees because they think they're just going to get absolutely massive and they Mm. won't know what to do with them. But there is a tree for every garden size. And one that we always put in is crab apples because you can keep them small. Apples you can prune quite easily and they're just absolutely fine with it. But there's loads and loads of varieties of them because they've been bred over you know generations. So there are ones that are really small, you know, no bigger than two or three metres tall. 
which is really is good for any size garden. And you can have them in a pot as well if you really needed to. Okay. Um, but the great thing is, because, they've, because they're a tree, like a shrub, you get that overall mass of leaves and loads and loads of different moth caterpillars go and eat them. Um, you get flowers quite early in the year, sort of April time, so really good for the early flying pollinators. But then, like I said, later in the year, you get the berries as well. Mm. And there's different uh, cultivars, depending on what you actually want the, the berry to attract in. So if you're looking for windfall, so this is when you let the apples drop to the ground, in which case they're really good for lots of mammals, then you can go for um, slightly larger cultivar, or slightly larger fruits rather. I think okay. there's one called John Downey. Um, there's one called Jelly King, which I really like the sound of. And you can make really good crab apple jelly with that as well, as the oh. name would suggest. But also um, the, the thrushes, again, like the, the wintering, the, the thrushes that come here from Scandinavia, the field fair and the red wing, they absolutely love the smaller fruited versions. Um, and there's one called um, Sun Rival, which again, little red fruits, but they're more like berries. They're really tiny and they can just pick them off the tree and eat them. And oh. quite often we've got customers actually that have these. And they just strip them in one go. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they're really fantastic trees. Um, so they are, you, you can eat, because I was always told you can't eat crab apple, but is it yeah, different? Crab apple's fine. So you some don't want to. No, no, you just don't want to eat it l- like an apple. Yes. Because can. if you go and eat it raw, yeah. they're just. Yeah. I mean, they're super sharp. You wouldn't get, you wouldn't be able to eat many anyway. Uh, okay. But they're not, they're not poisonous at all. But yeah, crab apple jelly, you can make sauces and stuff with them. Okay. They're really, so really it's good. More like boiling and or whatever, or doing other bits. With yeah. yeah. And if you're yeah. making like apple juice, if you've got a culinary apple in your garden, and sort of it, it tastes a bit watery or a bit flat, then adding some crab apples into it can sort of sharpen up the flavour as well. It's a really nice thing to do. Cider, maybe? Yeah, the same. They yeah. use crab apples sometimes in cider, okay. definitely. Oh, right. yeah. now you've got me interested. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get, you'll come back and I'll have an orchard in the back now. Yeah. <laughs> Get yeah. my wife pressing them down or something. But yeah. the, same, the same thing for crab, apple, for crab apples is true as for pyrocanthal, though. So crab apples come in... Yeah, deep reds to bright oranges and then to, you get really pale yellow ones. And we have noticed that they just leave the yellow ones, the birds, uh, over okay. the winter. So, yeah, do try and go for one of the darker ones. Non-wildlife gardens, you often see um, certain varieties sold on the premise that birds don't take them because it's a benefit to for us, you know, in terms of visuals. Like, you've got this fruit that hangs around for ages. But I always feel that we're cheating the animals out of the yeah. food if you're doing that. It's just purpose. a waste, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Obviously. You could dye them red. <laughs> I don't know. Dip them in red paint. Yeah. 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 Full disclaimer. We're doing do it not, for the wildlife. Do not do, not do that. <laughs> Someone will be like, that's a really good idea. Please don't do that. Um, another kind of watery plant is curled pondweed. Because I was trying to think of an oxygenator that's native. Because mm. everyone's got... I, I think it's actually... I don't know if you can buy it anymore. Canadian pondweed yeah. is like the classic yeah. one. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, yeah, any oxygenate is better than none. But, I mean, if you're going to go for one, a, a native's better. Um, but they're native to Europe, and obviously they have curly leaves, so hence curly pondweed. One of the reasons I really like them is they're great for newts because they're quite leafy, and newts lay their eggs mm. around leaves. So if you want to encourage newts into your garden pond, then curly pondweed uh, is pretty good. It is a bit like kind of hen's teeth, though, to buy because it dies back really early. Mm. So um, you can buy it, but you have to kind of look out for it. I think, well, by now, July's gone. Like, you won't be able to yeah. buy it anywhere because it becomes really brittle. So it'll still be in your pond, but you can't ship it. Uh, so if you're looking to get some, definitely get that a little bit a little bit earlier. But it will grow in the deeper areas of your pond. 
got reddish flower. I've never seen it flower, no, but apparently it has seen no, the flower. No, 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 but it does have reddish flowers, and you can get quite dense mats of them. So uh, that would be the oxygen. I mean, milfoil's another. I think it's milfoil, isn't it? And hornwort and things like that yeah, are pretty good. We certainly put hornwort into ponds, but yeah. also curly pondweed. But it's interesting you said about it being difficult to get hold of because while everything's difficult to get hold of at the moment because of COVID and Brexit and everything, I did notice when I was trying to shop for curly pondweed, that was pretty much impossible. Yeah, yeah. It was sold out before it had even become available. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. So. I, I did order some from Naturescape and then they said, oh, we can't sell you this, but we've got uh, violets and things. It's not what I wanted, but all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, luckily my uh, my local canal had a load. So I was like, oh, lovely. <laughs> so, uh, so um, I just got a rake and, and kind of dragged a load of it up. So yeah, I'm just like a, a hermit getting plants out there. So that was pretty good. I think people locally must think you own that canal. Like, oh yeah, because you, you saw just... me down there, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, well, I, yeah, I do. <laughs> Stage your claim. Yeah, yeah. Pee, pee all over the. This is mine. This is mine. This oh, is that's mine. what the smell is. That's what I did wonder why you were rubbing on that post. Well, you know, <laughs> it was a sunny day. I was happy. Let's just uh, let's get it out there. <laughs> well, is this our fifth one next? Fourth, it is. Fourth, fourth, I think. Is it? I've got oh, one God. more, so I assume you've got one. Goodness, I can't remember yeah. what we chosen. No. Um, we decided because we just recently been singing the praises of grass. On, on our podcast and I think a lot of people think in terms of um, wildlife gardening that always leaving it long is, is kind of the answer but actually short grass can be really good as well and that's because lots of solitary bees actually mine, uh, oh, sorry, nest in amongst it so they can actually uh-huh. dig down and make their burrows in amongst short grass but then to make it even better there is a plant, obviously lots of plants that are considered lawn weeds that are really really good for like boosting the, the biodiversity so we thought we'd choose Trifolium repens, which is the white clover. Ah, okay. Um, and we've got certainly lots of gardens where it's just it does spread, but it is absolutely beautiful. And when it's flowering, a it's really low, so you can still keep it, um, you know, short grass. It actually smells incredible, and I've been wandering around gardens, wondering what on earth this beautiful sweet scent is. And it wasn't until I got on my hands and knees and sniffed around in the grass. I was like, <laughs> oh, the clover. But it's the things just, you can get away with when you call yourself uh, a wildlife gardener. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the job. <laughs> I always tell my customers to sniff things in their garden. I think they just accept it now, don't yeah. they? Sniff this. Um, no, but it's really good because, so all of the clovers, and actually anything in the Fabiaceae family, so that's the pea family, is it has really high quality pollen. Um, and that just means it's got more protein in it. So it's really, really good for all the pollinators that take pollen. Um, and the bees will obviously favour it. But it's also really good for things like hoverflies and, uh, again, just regular flies. Yeah. <laughs> so there's lots of different flies out there. And they, and also the parasitic wasps really, really like it as well. And you want those guys in your garden because they yeah. control things that you might not want lots of. So, yeah, it's a really, really good plant just to introduce. Um, in terms of actually getting it it's not something you could go to naturescape or somewhere like that and get plugs and then actually you know put it into your lawn and let it do its thing but we always say just don't spray your lawn and these things tend to just arrive with their own volition yeah find a way yeah so in terms of gardening it's one of those like really easy ones it's like just wait yeah (laughs) well i never understood why people get so militant about only having grass in their lawn because if you're mowing it anyway and it's short why i I guess if i don't know but I, I just kind of let anything... I'm not too fussy about mine. It, other stuff crops up in yeah. it then. It is a historical thing. Yeah. It's just one of those things that we... I mean, like anything with gardening, there, there are tastes, aren't there? Yeah. And styles, yeah. you know, same with fashion. 
And I think, yeah, this idea of this uniform green carpet is just somehow in our psyche from mm. somewhere that that is how you have a lawn. And that shows that you're wealthy. That's what it used to mean in the Victorian Yeah, I guess era. so, yeah. It's yeah, actually yeah. a sign of wealth, which it's kind of odd that we've kind of got that as a bit of a hangover because obviously that's not what people, I think, maybe think of <laughs> when they're, no, you when know, they're you growing walk, one. You walk and see a green lawn like, oh, they're loaded. You know, it's not really, <laughs> it's not really what you think, is it, anymore? So no. No, give, me, I, give me clover any day of the week. Yeah, definitely <laughs> a great, um, a great one. Well, my, my last one then is uh, is oxeye daisy, because I know some some people consider them a bit of a bully, but I, I I think when you get to that time of year and there's loads of them, it's such a lovely kind of reflective glow that you get off them when you see them in the sun. So I'm a big big fan. Obviously, it looks like a daisy with a with a long stem and and white petals and that yellow core. Um, one of the things they were called was moon daisy and I tried mm. to f- figure this out I don't know if you've come across that before or no, heard that. and apparently because large numbers at dusk and they almost look like they're glowing mm. so that's where they get the name moon daisy but I've not heard that one uh, they die back I don't know if they do die back in the winter it says die back in the winter but I guess they go down a little bit but they're evergreen aren't they they don't at the base yeah. at the base yeah. okay so it's the stem will go off a little yeah. bit um, and apparently the origin of he loves me he loves me not it's from oxide daisy, not the. I always remember it from the little daisies. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it originated in oxide daisy, the bigger one, because they're bigger petals yeah. to, Makes sense. to to pick off. Uh, June to September flowering time, and they can go in. And again, you'll probably know this more than me. They go in cycles, don't they? So you might get three or four years of them doing really well, and then kind of tail off a little bit or is it a bit of a myth? I noticed it. I don't know officially, but I feel like, for example, this year was just really fantastic. Okay. Sort of breathtaking, you know, kind of to look at some of the, just embankments, even just a railway embankment covered Mm. in them. So yeah, that's interesting. But I think most things do have these Uh, Yeah, I guess maybe it's they take a certain nutrient out and then it becomes poorer. Weather. Yeah, Yeah. weather I suppose as well. Mm. But um, but I really like them and I think um, they're not looking so good in in my meadow at the moment, but when they were there... They're just a great little addition. They also help make the other flowers pop because it's more like a canvas. So even though I didn't have many poppies, the poppies that were in there really stood out mm. because of all the white around them. So if you're kind of looking at your garden as a canvas, then uh, oxide daisy are great to, to mm. show other stuff off. And obviously great for, yeah. Kind of garden <laughs> design. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, um, a foil, they call it. Is it's that what it is? That, yes, it's a is that foil. The, yes, ah, yes. Okay, I'll use that. Uh, and we'll get you at Chelsea, yeah. I could do do just loads of hanging cats along my uh, my thing, you know, just every now and again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hit one with a baseball bat every now and again. Um, And and they hold loads of nectar as well. So, yeah, I I definitely recommend them for for Mm. a wildlife garden. And and if you get a seed packet, inevitably it will say like 20 different kinds of wildflower. I guarantee that oxide, like, (laughs) like three of them will come through and oxide daisy will be one of them. Yeah, yeah. So... That's how they go. But that's one I'd recommend. So what, what's your last... Uh, if you can remember, what's your last last? Or have you done five? Yeah. I think we have. Maybe what you have. Do? Honeysuckle, pyracantha, crabapple. Yeah, I think we're done. I think that's it. I mean, we could literally talk plants I'm sure, for like yeah. weeks. So yeah. <laughs> you might regret like having us over. Yeah, that's our five. Yeah. Okay, that's it. Yeah. I was so engrossed in it, I couldn't, couldn't remember if we'd done them or not. Well... Obviously, any excuse to waffle about kind of natural history is good, and, and hopefully, mm. people listening to this have given them ideas to what they can plant in their in their garden and pond. Um, and if people want to check out your podcast, it's the Wildlife Garden Podcast. 
which uh, is we're on Twitter at the Wild GDN and Facebook.com forward slash the Wildlife Garden Podcast. But then a lot of the stuff for the podcast is on our professional website for our regular gardening as well, which is just Ellieswellies.com. Yeah, and your predominant is it East Midlands only, or do you go only where? Nottingham? Oh, only mm. Nottingham. Okay, yeah. so if you're listening in Nottingham and you want <laughs> to wild your garden, then definitely get in touch with Belly. Ben and yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for coming on, guys. Cheers. Cheers, Jack. Yeah, loved it. Hopefully you got a few ideas on what plants you can try in your garden to encourage wildlife. And we did go out looking for purple emperors after, and we saw three, which I'll be honest with you, I didn't think we'd see fuck all. But we got three of them, so it's amazing to see that near my house. If you want to find out more, there's a link in the description for the Wildlife Garden podcast. It's full of tips and hints, well worth checking out. There's a link in the description also to buymeacoffee.com, and you can help the podcast out by donating three quid to help it keep going. If you could also leave a review, Spotify, iTunes, whatever you listen it to, that helps the podcast out massively. Now, sticking with the wildlife garden theme, next week I have Pond Guru Jules Howard on the podcast as we talk about all the myths behind garden ponds, like birds bringing fish eggs on their feet, and if blanket weed really is that bad for ponds. This has been the Bearded Tits podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks. And I'll catch you next Tuesday. Cheers.